0: The Florida Gators have staked their claim for the national championship of 1996. Here's Tebow, jump pass, throw it to the end zone, and a touchdown! David Nelson scores! Long back down, you can stand me up at the gates of... Dropping back the throw, pops and fires the ball, over the middle, it's over, it's over, oh. yeah, Body within 10 yards, lofting down the sideline for Johnson, and he is level. Glory has been paved with a lot of offensive success, right? Offense sells tickets. People love high-flying, high-scoring football teams. But when you really take a look at Gator Glory, the defenders should get their due. By the way, DBU, have we heard of it? One of those joins us right now as we continue our path to Gator glory and look back on some of the real instrumental players that have helped build Florida uh, football to the state that it is in. And one of those is Kewan Ratliff, who joins us uh, right now. And Keewan, first of all, uh, appreciate you joining us so much. Take folks back to 1999 uh, and Keewan Ratliff is an all-star football player all the way up in Youngstown, Ohio. How did Florida catch your eye and how did you end up there?
1: It's, it's funny that you started off this by mentioning the, the, the offense and the glory of the, you know, the Florida Gators. And honestly, that's what caught my eye. Coach Furrier and the funding gun system that he ran. And at the time, I wanted to be a wide receiver, as most DBs did <laughs> growing up. So, you know, I, I – Envision myself being honestly the next John Quez Green or Ridell Anthony.
0: So you grew up and you know, you you famously remember like the ninety-seven Florida, Florida State game when Quez is catching a big ball to beat the number one Knolls, Fred Taylor is running, Spurrier's throwing his visor, you as an offense slash defensive player at the time, that, that was attractive to you.
1: Oh, that was extremely attractive to me. Being in a in big ten country. You know, we're smash mouth football and, and being from northern Ohio where we prided ourselves on, you know, in November when it got cold in October, that, you know, the guys were still going to put their hat, you know, on somebody. So watching Coach Spurrier line up in four and five wide receivers and throw the ball around and, and have three or four guys catch touchdown passes in one game, that sparked my interest, and, and that's what caught my eye uh, to start looking into that team, and along with Bob Stoops being from Youngstown and being a Youngstown boy and playing high school with my dad. But Coach Spurrier's offense is what, what initiated my initial interest.
0: I have to think that being a defensive back, uh, even in practice, playing against Coach Spurrier's offense prepares you pretty well for – Not only the opponent you play that week, but for what ended up coming, a fairly long NFL career for you as well. That was kind of a a double bonus, right, as you decide to move over to corner. Was that a hard move? Everyone wants to play offense, but you look back in hindsight, a record-setting career at Florida, a career in the NFL, and and the move to corner suited you well.
1: I mean, it really did. I I can't say that I was a guy that was just moved to something that was unnatural because – 85% of my scholarships coming out of high school were at the defensive back. So most of those coaches had already envisioned what I was going to be. I was just too hard-headed and stubborn (laughs) to see it at the time. So I wanted the limelight of scoring touchdowns and hearing the band play when I ran across the goal line and those things. But, you know, moving over to the defensive side of the ball helped me get paid, as, as I like to say. I mean, who's to say that my career would have went the way it went. I would have had the success I had staying on the offensive side of the ball. And it was a blessing the day that Coach Spurrier came to me and said, hey, we think we can get you on the field a lot faster on the other side of the ball.
0: It, it wasn't a fairytale entrance for you into the University of Florida, right? It had a, it had a couple of hiccups for you. And, and what made you stick it out with, with the Gators? And I'm, I'm sure now you're, you're glad you did.
1: Oh, I'm, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But at the time uh, when I was coming out in 99, the NCAA, they challenged my test scores, my ACT test scores. One of I took a test early on in my high school career, didn't do so well. Then after I started blowing up on the recruiting circuit, my high school coach set it up to where I got ACT tutoring. And, and I prepped for my next test. I got a really good score and I never took it again. So when I enrolled in school, I was going through camp, went through summer process, everything. And right before the, the first game, I was approached and they told me I had to go home. Uh, my test score was challenged by the NCAA and I was no longer eligible to play at the University of Florida. So when I went home, they wrote up stories in the newspaper about uh, local kid returns home, didn't make it. And for the Gators and you, you know, you had to hear all of the negativity that was coming from everybody surrounding saying, I told you so. So that was probably the hardest year of my life, just going back home, having to swallow my pride, and go back and, and stick it out and take the test over again. I was blessed and fortunate enough to get the score I needed that next time I took it. I enrolled that following summer, and the rest is history.
0: You were a kind of a bridge guy at the University of Florida after the splendid success of uh, Steve Spurrier. You're kind of a bridge guy now too. I want to get to that in a second, but first, tell me what the mood was within the program when Steve Spurrier surprised a lot of people by announcing he was going to, you know, uh, take his game to the NFL, and you knew that, you know, Florida would have a different leader.
1: It, it, honestly, I, I tease Coach all the time when I see him. I told him he co- he cost me a national championship in two thousand and two. <laughs> I mean, because
0: that's a good team coming
1: off of our our two thousand and one season. You know, after beating Maryland in the Orange Bowl, I believe we were ranked second or third in the final polls. And you know, Rex was becoming sexy Rexy and a <laughs> household name, and everybody knew about him. And he should have won the Heisman that year. But for sure, we knew that next year he was going to come back and bring it home for us. And for us to have that meeting with Coach Spurrier and to hear those words that he was going to the NFL, I mean, it was heartbreaking to a lot of guys. It was so heartbreaking to guys that I believe three or four guys made their decision to turn pro right after that meeting. And some of those guys weren't even thinking about it. Like I know Jabbar Gaffney was, you know, considering it, but he really wanted to come back to try to break records. The Lito may have still went. I'm pretty sure Gerard Warren would have went. But we had guys like Ian Scott and Clint Mitchell, guys that, that, that left that wouldn't have left, I don't believe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: had Coach Spurrier stayed. And I think that next year's team could have been arguably one of his best teams had those guys came back and played in '02.
0: Was two thousand and one as frustrating for you, the player, as it was for the fan? I, I mean, I really feel like both covering and watching that Florida football pro- program for all those years. Oh, one was a really, really good team. You had the tough loss at at Auburn, I believe, that year. But you know that Tennessee game getting moved to the end—a game you were big favorites, a game I think we all expected Florida would win—and you and know, really, quite honestly, you probably play for a national title if you if you win that game that night. Is does that game stick out if you look at the losses while you were there as as one that that really you know killed a dream?
1: I mean, that game naturally is going to stick out whether we won or lost just because of the ramifications of 9/11. I mean that's going, that's going to be a memorable game, no matter what, but it's just unfortunate that we didn't come out on top in that game. And like you said, we truly believe that we had a national championship caliber team. We let one slip away on the road at Auburn. Late, uh, late field, I believe, uh, David Duvall. David Duvall, yeah. 52, 53-yard field goal or something like that to beat us on the road. Those are always tough games to get in the SEC. We had just played them the year before in the SEC championship game. We played them twice. So it was they, they were kind of used to us. We were used to them. So it was one of those games to where it was a familiar opponent, and they beat us. Then we fast-forward to the end of the year. To, we would have played them on 9-11 like we were supposed to that week. They wouldn't have had uh, Kelly uh, or Dante Stallworth.
0: Right, they, I remember that. Had, yeah.
1: Both their top two receivers were out that game. They were pretty banged up. They had a couple of defensive players that were going to be out. Not to say that was going to just give us a win, but our chances were a little bit better. Later in the year, they got rolled, and that defensive line played – Tremendous that day. They stood up with Big John and those guys and and cut off the passing lanes for Rex. They had a great game plan, and they they were fortunate. They came out and beat us. But I do believe that if we win that game, we win the SEC championship, because I believe LSU went to the SEC Uh championship and won that year, and we beat the the brakes off of them (laughs) during the regular season. It was like 42 to 14 or something like that. It was, it was an ugly game. I just remember Jabbar going up and down the sideline in the first half on them. So we would have been pretty confident going against them, and then that would have been our year to, to play against Miami and get our get back from that sugar bowl the year before.
0: You got uh, some team success. You won an SEC. The transition takes play. Franz Zuck takes over. And you got individual success in spades by your senior year. I, I, I have to question, uh, Kiwan. I've always thought this. No player in college football should have nine interceptions. After about the fifth, they ought to start throwing away from you. But you t- you, you set the uh, Florida single-season record with nine uh, your senior year. D- does a DB get in a groove like a, a golfer or a baseball player or a quarterback?
1: Well, honestly, a lot of that success that I had, I have to give all that credit to Coach Strong, Charlie Strong. Okay, A lot of – a lot of teams. If you look at my interceptions, the bulk of them came in a three-week span.
0: Well, you had two and three back to back. Yeah, I remember that. I had two. I had two, three, two. Wow, Whew, so that's a run, my man. <laughs> and the thing was,
1: is earlier in the year, teams weren't throwing at me. First two or three games of the season, I didn't have any interceptions because I wasn't getting any work. And then Coach Strong pulled us all to the side. We were all seniors in the secondary. Daryl Dixon, Gus Scott, Johnny Lamar. We were all older guys. We knew the system, we knew the schemes, and he would come to us and allow us to play a role in putting the game plan together. Huh. He would allow us to play a role in who went where and who did what. So right going into that, I wanted to say the LSU game, we were we had just lost the Ole Miss. We were looking bad and we were three and three. You know, we were in a place that Florida football hadn't been in years. And Coach Strong came to us and said, hey, I'm going to lean on y'all. I need plays made, and I'm going to listen to y'all. I know y'all know what y'all doing. So when we're out there, y'all make those checks, y'all make those calls. And Gus Scott spearheaded our whole defense and our whole secondary, and he made some calls and some checks and some things that if you watch film, we would look like we didn't know what we were doing. But if you watch the results – you can see that we did know what we were doing. And I have to give credit to those guys because without those guys and without Coach Strong giving us that that leeway, half of those plays wouldn't have been made.
0: Now you have uh, uh, transitioning out of playing football. Right. I mean, you wanted to keep doing something with football. I know I've, I've I've heard you say that before. And now you've landed at the University of Florida. You, you talk about coming the frustration of feeling like you may could have won a national title in 2002. Well, I got news for folks listening right now. If the Gators are going to win a national title moving forward, it's going to be important, you know, for Dan Mullen to do his part and for the players to do his part. But Kiwan Ratliff and his peers are also going to have a lot to do with it because Kiwan, we got to keep Alabama out of the state, my man. And recruiting right now, what is your pitch? What are you telling uh, prospects about joining the University of Florida and trying to take this to, you know, that next level um, in Gainesville?
1: I mean, it's, it's a different day and age now because that, you know, when I was coming out, the university recruited itself. I mean, you, watch, you turn the game on on Saturday, and most of my, my, me and my peers, we picked our teams off of Saturday what we saw what we got from TV, Interesting. The, you know, the, the crowd noise and what people were saying about it on TV. Now it's the age of information. These kids can find out anything they want to know about a university, about a coach, about an apartment complex, food. So they know everything now. They know the guys that are being recruited. When I was recruited here, I didn't meet Lito Shepard, Jabbar Gaffney, Taylor Jacobs. Mike Nettino, those guys, to the day I stepped foot on campus, didn't know their names, didn't know anything about them. Now these guys are becoming best friends with kids that live in California and they're in Texas Uh all through social media. So now it's more so on the product that you're you're putting together with your team, with your players. So now your players are the ones that sell your university Uh because those are the ones that interact with these kids. Those are the ones that are on social media with them. Those are the ones that are doing these TikTok videos and getting them followers and things like that. So now it's more on the the team, the coaches, fans, everybody because of the NIL and we're in a whole different age of recruiting now to where guys can go out and actually get paid to be a good football player before they even step foot on campus.
0: Listen, recruiting oh. rank- r- recruiting rankings can be very nebulous. I mean, you, you can take a, a you know a four star, you can call him a four star, and he's Kyle Pitts. He's the three pick in the draft as a tight end, higher than ever. So I don't get c- too caught up. And I think Mullen and his staff and all you guys, when it comes to developing a football team, do a tremendous job. At the end of the day, you look at an Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, whoever you want, and. And you can pretty much transcribe the recruiting rankings from the previous three or four years that really helps them get there. Mullen is too good a coach not to get his chance in that spotlight in, in the final four and playing for a national title. I believe he's going to get there. And I, I also believe that, as you just pointed out, recruiting has changed. You know, it also matters what you have on your campus, doesn't it, Kiwan? And those changes are coming as well.
1: It absolutely does. And and as you know, Coach Spayard really didn't care. He felt, hey, I'm win with win you, win, win without you, yeah, exactly. We're gonna look good on the field. We're gonna play good on the field. Who cares about how we get it done Monday through Friday and what the what the facilities look like? So we were a little bit behind the eight ball on that. So Coach Mullin has came in. He's did some changes. We have some things in the works. We have some some plans to to, to catch up with the Joneses, so to speak. So here in the next two or three years. Some of those schools that negatively recruit us on the things that we have and the way things look around here won't be able to do that. So, so, uh, so hopefully, you know, we start catching up with some of those guys on the, the, the material things that, that the kids like to see and they like to be around. But the, the product on the field is second to none right now. I mean, we came up a little short a few weeks ago, but if you've been watching since Coach has taken over the job, you can see how we're slowly creeping back to the top. You can see how we're starting to become that, that strong, mighty Gator team that coach Spurrier used to say, Hey, you know, some of these teams we beat when we step off the bus. So once we get back to to that mentality and we get back to that level, I think everything else will fall in place.
0: As we do this uh, podcast on Gator Glory that really commits with uh, Steve Spurrier's arrival in 1990, if I think in my mind, if I go back through my mind, the defensive playmakers at the University of Florida, it's its it's, Keywon, it's Reggie Nelson, it's Lito Shepard. I mean, just just big-time effects and impacts on game. And Kiwan, you did that with regularity down in Gainesville. Is there one moment as a gator on the playing field that you remember more than others be it a, an individual game or a or a team one uh
1: my i have well, i have an individual one i have a team all right excellent my my individual moment that i remember the most is going back to my receiver days in my heart my mind i really believe that i could have been an excellent receiver at the university of florida even after all the success i had on defense In the back of my head, I still thought I was a wide receiver. Mm -hmm. I still worked out at my pro day as a wide receiver. I still would go and do drills with Chad Johnson and and, and T.J. Hushmanzada and those guys when I was in the NFL because I still thought I could play wide receiver. So naturally, my most exciting moment, Mm -hmm. my most memorable moment to me is when I caught my one and only touchdown on offense in the bowl game against the school that I was formerly committed to before I committed to Florida.
0: Nice. Against Michigan. Nice. And team-wise?
1: Team-wise, I mean, well, when I came in, when I when I got recruited here, I came down on my visit, and I seen that every player that Coach Spurrier had coached since he had been here had at least two SEC championships. Minimum. Two. Some That's had amazing. three. You <laughs> know, but all of these guys had at least two. So – me coming in year one getting that SEC championship, I thought this is going to be an every year thing. Mm -hmm. So to leave out after four years and only have one, that SEC championship ring and that win against Auburn is my biggest team accomplishment.
0: Well, it's going to be harder than ever to add uh, uh, SEC and potentially national titles at Florida, but Kiwan Ratliff as a a member of the football staff down there, uh, really involved in player development, uh, player relations, and recruiting. He'll have a part in Gator uh, glory moving into the future as well, and certainly a big part of DBU and Gator glory up to this point. Kiwan, we really appreciate catching up with you. Uh, Continued good work down there in uh, Gainesville, and go Gators, my man. Uh,
1: Go Gators, and I appreciate you for having me.